0: Are we telling everyone? That's the message I get across the bottom. We are telling everyone that I am going live. We are back. We are live again today. And this is another episode of Property by Akazi. It's me right there in the merch, back in the official hoodie as I was um, pretty much cussed out for not wearing it last week and not being consistent with the branding. So we're back for another episode of Ask Somebody Else. Ask someone else, my bad been told me I keep doing that as well. So what is this? This is an opportunity for you fine people to ask an industry expert questions in the property space. Now, this is the one I've been waiting for. I've been saying it for a while. Um, it is the... A, you know, expert convencer join us today. A number of years of experience. So you could potentially ask questions. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. How are we doing? You're good? All good, all good. I thought be on time, you know. Hey, punctual. I love that. See <laughs> I mean? You know, you know the solicitors, you know, because they charge you by the minute. They make sure they're on time. <laughs> How are you doing? You good? All good, all good, all good. How you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I like the headset as well. You're looking very professional. Beard, yeah, sorry. Beard, beard, beard's looking trim nicely, you know. <laughs> looking very fly, sir. So, um, I'll just reintroduce about a couple more people joining the live. Um, so, sure. this is another episode of ask someone else it's an opportunity to ask an industry expert we do it every week every um sunday six o'clock so if you haven't got your notifications on make sure you've got them on so you don't forget this week is the lawyer episode as i've mentioned it's the one i've been looking forward to because quite frankly you charge us the most money so we're going to get some of your time for free today <laughs> So absolutely, I hope absolutely. E- everyone's ready and everyone has some really good questions um so I'll, I'll do a little introduction to you. Feel free to say what you don't do, don't want to talk about. It's fine. But obviously, I know you as um, a specialist in your field, so that's convincing. You've dealt with just general purchases to bridging loans and different things within the property space. You've helped myself and a lot of people have a lot of experience within the space, qualified quite a while ago now. Um, and yeah, so you are on Instagram, the property, the property, the, the prop layer
1: I am indeed The Property Lawyer. Uh, It's a channel I started um, back uh, this time last year when I was put on furlough because I had a bit of spare time on my hands. Uh, Made a couple of YouTube videos and then uh, started to join up on Instagram, but I haven't really done anything social media-wise because I really haven't had the time, to be honest with you. Um, But hopefully this will... uh, push me forward to uh, moving
0: yeah, on. Yeah, obviously this will drive, drive you forward. So guys, obviously if you've got your questions and I hope you've got a few, cause I know I have, so I'm going to start with my questions anyway to warm everybody in. Um, and then, yeah, so I think obviously from a, from a starting point, I guess not everybody knows why they need a solicitor or what the role of is, is a solicitor when purchasing a property. So with obviously from a sort of ground up basics. Could you start with that?
1: yeah um so in england and wales whenever you buy a property you have to have a conveyancer a Mm. conveyancer comes in many formats uh it could be a solicitor it could be a conveyancing solicitor uh a um conveyancing uh executive for example Mm -hmm. Um, and there are different types of qualifications you can have for doing conveyancing and The main difference between all of them are relating to who we're regulated by so uh, a solicitor is obviously um a professional regulated by the sra which is the solicitor's regulation authority um most law firms are regulated by the sra
0: and um, i've noticed all your your professionals love an acronym (laughs) indeed indeed.
1: um but there are other conveyances out there in the market who aren't regulated by the sra um you know there might be the clc which is the uh uh, legal executives out there there could be um just general conveyancing executives the truth is you don't have to be qualified to actually do my job but it's helpful oh, wow. to be qualified because um when it comes to acting for lenders and stuff they like to have a professional acting on their behalf mm-hmm, as well mm-hmm. as your behalf uh, and our job is basically to make sure that when you come to buy a property or even sell a property our job is to make sure that uh, we do everything from a legal perspective uh, in the way that it should be so that there aren't any issues in the future.
0: Okay. That's a nice, nice, very in depth, succinct answer there. Um, which I guess leads me on to another question because, as you mentioned, there's a number of different Ways you, you could choose to choose your, the person to represent you when buying or selling a property. And also one thing that a question I get asked regularly is how with anybody when you're trying to build a dream team, because effectively that's what your conveyance or a solicitor is. They're really adding value to your whole team that you've built. How does, how, how does one go about choosing a good solicitor?
1: Well, the majority of times, um, whenever you put an offer in through an agency, for example, you'll always be recommended to solicitors uh, that are, um, work, you know, they're well known in the area. Mm-hmm. They're normally working with the agents as well in the in in the past. Usually, those agents get a bit of a kickback because that's how we market with our our, our business model. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you use a solicitor that's recommended to you. Um, whether it 's by the agents whether it 's by a previous client or, or or a friend or mortgage broker and so on um that 's the best way to really find yourself a a decent solicitor because mm. really you can always uh get a good solicitor you could really get a really bad solicitor um you know it 's one of those things in life which uh it it, it 's something you can 't really help with so you 've got to try and choose someone that you like, get on well with mm. and and build on that relationship in the future
0: and i think from everybody that we've spoken to, whether it's architects, whether it's, um, you know, solicitors, builders, one of the main things has been that people have said personal recommendations really go a long way, along with um, also somebody that you can have a relationship with and actually get along with, because I find a lot of the time, particularly when I'm maybe in a more complicated purchase, I'm speaking to my solicitor so regularly that if we didn't gel it could end up just being very detrimental to the purchase and the deal as a whole. So I think, I think that's, that's very accurate. And for me, just to add to that, I know obviously it's, it's, it's been different with lockdown, but generally speaking, I like a solicitor that I can see and I can sit down with. So the larger, big organizations that kind of do really high volume, but you don't really have that one-to-one touch, haven't for personally, from a personal experience, that I haven't found them that favorable. Um, and then I guess the other question in regards to um, you know in, in regards to solicitors is is cost because there's quite a big cost disparity between I mean what are again sort of what, what could somebody expect to pay a solicitor for representing them in a cell
1: I I, I mean you know solicitors vary depending on prices experience uh, you know where they're based as well um, I would usually say a decent solicitor would cost you know the, the cost you need to allocate for your budgeting purposes mm-hmm. is around a two to two and a half grand mark um, for, for someone that's a generic high street law firm who actually knows what they're doing. Sometimes you can go for the cheaper people um, and, and there are people that, that are cheaper that are good, but uh, most of the time, especially in the London area where you and I are based has, mm-hmm. um you know paying for the cheapest person will always get you the cheapest service and what you're trying to want to get in a transaction is service rather than um you know rather than saving on the pennies you want to get the deal done quickly uh, so that you don't get consumed in the future for example
0: Um, i mean so many things or even just stuff that could be overlooked like what if they are not going through certain details with a fine tooth comb and something gets missed out that then You know, in the best case scenario in the future, you've got to pay for a big indemnity policy or you've got to pay for something else down forward.
1: And, you know, there are law firms in central London who basically charge like four grand plus for legal fees and they're going to deal with your high net worth clientele. Um, I think what you need to do is find someone that's recommended to you, whether it's by the agents, whether it's by someone else, whether it's by a friend who's always used a conveyancing solicitor in the past who's never had any issues, kind of thing, um, and, and stick by that recommendation.
0: Okay. And I think any, an interesting conversation that um, uh, Teke has asked. I can't pronounce names. I'm so bad with pronouncing <laughs> stuff when I try and read it on the screen um but yeah as asked basically does it matter if the solicitor is in the location of the property or could a solicitor work you know in different properties based in different areas in the country
1: i mean th- thank you for your question to um i think generally speaking it doesn't really smooth matter smooth you
0: pronounce the name it just, <laughs> just makes me look rubbish <laughs>
1: um it doesn't generally matter um where the solicitor is based but it's always helpful to have someone that knows the area so um i used to work in South East london quite quite a lot uh, in in the past and um you know i know how to get around certain issues with the Dulwich estate for example or with mm-hmm. other other um landlords that i know how they work because obviously when you're buying a property which is ex-council for example i'll know that lambeth have a certain way of doing things compared to Wandsworth, compared to southwark and so on mm-hmm. um but i may not know as much you know dealing with a local authority up north for example um it is helpful to have someone that's local, but it's not a necessity when it comes to buying a property to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I think I, pr- I probably agree. I think it's a lot a lot of like stuff in property is like that, that sometimes local expertise, although somebody who's not familiar with the location could find it out, it may be a case that it takes them that little bit longer. There's slightly delays. Maybe, you know, they're making a bigger deal out of something that actually, you know, from experience because it's your local area, that you know that's not a big deal. You've dealt with, you know, five, ten cases that where it's not a big deal. We know there's an issue with this road being unassigned. However, they have decided they're going to adopt it. And I just know this, whereas somebody who's not familiar with the area may have to jump through a lot of hoops.
1: Um, yeah, and, and, and an example to give there is, like, for example, Lewisham Council. Um, they, the way they do their leasehold properties is um, you as a leaseholder have to insure the building, of your flat but the communal areas are insured by lewisham council and you know a lot of solicitors that don't deal with lewisham won't ever realize that that's how they work and they'll ask for indemnity policies that just aren't necessary in that sense
0: yeah yeah and that makes perfect makes perfect sense um i think there's there's so many stuff that we could touch on obviously we've started with how to find a good solicitor i think one thing a lot of people are just not actually familiar with is potentially just the difference between how, um, you know, from I guess from a solicitor's perspective, the difference between freehold and leasehold properties. So I don't know if you'd like to just touch on that quickly.
1: Yeah, so a leasehold property is effectively a leasehold uh, title and it derives from a lease agreement between a freeholder and a leaseholder. So where you've got a leasehold property, you've effectively... You're effectively buying an agreement between the landlord and the tenant to say that the tenant can use a certain space of the property or the building mm-hmm. for a set period of time. So most leasehold properties have uh, have a long lease, you know, usually 90 years or 100 years or, or even 999 years. But ultimately, you always have a landlord, the freeholder, who um, is granting you the right to use that space in return for a... Uh, ground rent that's payable and the ground rent could be monetary it could be a peppercorn ground rent, which basically means it's zero Um, and ultimately when you have a freehold property you own the land that the property sits on Mm -hmm. but when you own a leasehold property you actually own the right to occupy a certain space within the building uh, which is usually a flat and so Mm -hmm. most flats in in, in england and wales are a leasehold property um, and when you own a flat, you're not technically owning the, the the actual physical space of the flat. What you're actually doing is you're owning the agreement to use the space of the flat for a certain period of time in return for the covenants such as paying ground rent, uh, paying service charges, you know, sticking to the rules and regulations of the landlord, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think then, obviously, as, as to lead on from there... In terms of people that are maybe first-time buyers or even you know buying your second property but it does mean that there are additional things that you need to sort of look into when buying a property particularly if it's an investment property as well like what are your ground rents like what are your service charges like are there um any major works that have been planned um and all, all sorts of things to do with the property that you would need to look at to make sure that the investment makes sense for you Um, Adi, you know your question, sorry, which was buying a property, there are a lot of things you have to pay for. Do you think some of these middlemen can be cut out? Do you mind elaborating on that? I don't fully understand that question. Uh, Let's have a look. Another one from Els. How do we ensure our solicitor can complete an auction purchase on time? Um, And is this something you specialize in?
1: Um, Well... Auctions are very different. I mean, you and I have done many auction properties in the past, yep. Kaz and over the years. Um,
0: and you you haven't have missed completion for me yet. Yeah?
1: <laughs> never, never would, never would for any client. Um, auction nah, properties <laughs> are, I, I don't know if you've watched Homes in the Hammer, but that's a really good example to start off with. When you buy a property in auction, um, you always exchange contracts as soon as the hammer goes down. So what that basically means is you have agreed to buy the property as soon as a hammer goes down and you pay your 10% deposit, usually a 10% deposit, um, which is effectively the deposit for your seller to hold on to until you complete. Um, now, it depends really on your financial circumstances as to whether or not you can complete in time. And so it's always important to have the legal pack checked before you go into an auction to put a bid in because you might find that actually there's some provisions in the contract that you're bidding on uh, that may be detrimental to your uh, transaction that you're trying to do as a whole. So, for example, um, there may be additional fees that you may have to pay. You you may have to pay a a, a, a 2% surcharge on the actual purchase price to Mm -hmm. pay as a premium to the seller. Um, You may have to... um, you know, th- th- there may not be enough time between exchange and completion to uh, to get the deal done. And if you're buying with finance, you know, ideally you want to get your mortgage and principal in place, but um, I'm sure Kaz has mentioned in his previous uh, uh, interviews uh, on, on, on a Sunday with finance companies, you know, you can get bridging finance and there's other ways of financing your purchase. But as long as you get your financing in place, there'll always be a way to exchange, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, there'll always be a way to complete. And, you know, it can come to the wire but we'll always try our best to get it done because at the end of the day we don't want you to lose your 10 percent deposit at the end of the day with a auction property
0: yeah um and i think yeah like you mentioned it's just a case of you've got a short space of time there's a lot of moving parts between the legals your finance getting those to marry up potentially even a separate um representative from your finance team that also need to sign everything off and i think really although you can have a great team in place there is still an element of earnest on you as an individual because it's your money at stake to make sure you are sort of oiling those cogs and making sure that the process is still ticking along and things are going at the pace you expect.
1: Absolutely. And when it comes to auction purchases, I think the key question you've got to ask your solicitor is, how busy are you? Because if, you're, if your solicitor is really busy and they don't have the time to actually focus on an auction purchase then you might want to find a better solicitor sorry not a better solicitor a a solicitor that's more free with their time Mm. um because timing is everything and the last thing you want to do is breach the contract that you've entered into when you go into an auction but always a good idea to have a chat with a solicitor uh before you uh put your bids in just to see what their capacity is like so that they know that there is a potential uh additional bit of work they're gonna have to deal with in the in the next coming month or so
0: yeah Definitely. And you touched on something as well, which is obviously at um, at auction, you have legal packs that are presented as part of the package that you can download and review beforehand. Now, you mentioned, obviously, another thing you can do to make sure there is fluidity in that transaction is having that legal pack reviewed ahead of actually going ahead with bidding. So two questions off the back of that is, is that a service that you provide? And sort of generally speaking within the industry, how much would something like that cost?
1: yeah um so when you uh, before i answer that question kaz i'm mm-hmm. going to explain to you the process of buying a property from a legal perspective just as you would do with going to an agency for example so mm-hmm. when you put your offer in with an agent uh, and your offer is accepted what happens is the solicitors talk to each other get the inquiries out get your searches in place and so on and you get to a position where you're ready to exchange contracts Um, Once you've exchanged contracts, you put your 10% deposit down uh, at the same time, and you've then agreed a completion date to uh, complete the actual purchase of a transaction. In an auction uh, transaction, a lot of that legwork happens uh, before the actual auction takes place, which is where you have to get the auction pack checked out. A decent decent sales pack will include a lot of the information you would normally get when you buy a property, which is... Mm -hmm searches, uh, legal title documents, um, title deeds that are historic, for example, that need to be looked into, uh, pre-contract inquiries that have already been responded to, and so on. And uh when you get a auction pack to review as a solicitor our job is to basically advise you on the auction pack itself to say these are the issues that you may want to be aware of these -hmm. are the issues that uh, may come up with in the future and ultimately we want to make sure that you can a enjoy living in the property or or doing what you want to do in the property and b more importantly we want to make sure you can sell the property in the future or remortgage in the future um we generally charge a fee uh so yeah you know, in an auction pack we charge a fee which is fixed up to the point of exchange uh, which is the pre uh, pre-auction pack uh we normally charge around 500 quid for a free property 750 for a lease property but you, what you get with that is a full report giving you the actual advice that you would do from a normal solicitor had you bought the property before outside of an auction mm-hmm. um if you're successful in the auction we will then charge you a supplemental fee to deal with the uh what we call the post exchange formalities mm-hmm. again that could range between 500 quid and 750 um depending on uh time scales as well as how how much work is involved between the exchange and completion as well
0: yeah because i've found as a developer or an investor you know it sometimes it could be quite difficult because there may be three auctions in a month that I'm interested in, four lots uh, in each auction. So that could quickly spiral. So I would say start to read legal packs, not to say that you're going to be able to understand everything, but you'll start to understand the pattern with the legal packs, what you should expect, particularly with freehold um, packs as well. They're a lot more straightforward. And in terms of, like you said, there's a lot of standardized things that we expect to be in those legal packs. So for me, when they're not there, that's a massive red flag. Like if somebody's excluded the searches in a pack where everybody else has them, it's like, well, what's going on here? What, what's, what's being hidden? What's, if there's an issue on the title, what, what can I not see, etc. cetera. Um, so I would say again, just to save yourself money, start to read legal packs so you could potentially quickly maybe weed out properties that would have an issue. And if there's something you are really sort of what do you want to go for, then, I think like, like you touched on earlier, like 500 pounds is by no means like a small amount of money. However, right. if that 500 pounds is going to potentially save you 5,000 pounds, 10,000 plus potentially even loads more, I've seen people that have literally lost hundreds of thousands of pounds because they didn't understand what they were buying. Like they bought a property yeah. that had maybe um, an enforcement notice that the building actually had to be knocked down because it was illegal. So technically they bought mm-hmm. land and not a building. So it is really important to understand what you're buying. And obviously, that's why we we aim to build our dream teams and our experts and our go-to guys. I can be like, look, do you know what? What do you think of this one? And obviously, that's why it's about building relationships with experts in the industry.
1: Absolutely. And most of the time, whenever you find a property you want to buy an auction, you don't normally have a lot of time to get all the information that you Mm -hmm. want in hand. So let's say you found a property which has got a bit of a light pack you know there's no searches included Mm. or anything like that then it might be worth actually saying you know what let's get the searches ordered in advance because when you come to buy the property you don't want there to be any headaches later on most of the time most of the time uh, not all the time but most of the time all headaches can be resolved even after exchange of contracts which is the you know when you've agreed to buy an auction pack Um, there are legal indemnity policies you can take out which will cover certain risks but, can you just um, explain
0: what an indemnity policy is? Because a lot of people are not familiar.
1: Um, an indemnity policy is effectively a a insurance policy, which is a one off one off cost to a uh, either a seller or a buyer, and it covers the risk of certain issues happening in the future. So they, you you can take a many. There are many types of indemnity policies out there. You could have a lack of building regulations or lack of planning permission if you find that there's been some changes to windows, for example, that haven't been taken out with building regulations. You can find that there's a defective lease with a plan which isn't quite in colour or whatever. You can take out indemnity insurance for that, for enforcement, uh, you know, to protect yourself from any enforcement issues. Um, and there is a wide varying uh, range of indemnity policies one can take out for... Uh, the benefit of you as a buyer and more importantly, the lender who you're going to be borrowing your money from. Because 99.9% of the time, if there's an issue, your lender won't proceed without the indemnity policy in place anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that does make makes a lot of lot of sense. And I think one thing you said that I think really hit home, and I hope it's home for a lot of people, is that almost any issue can be resolved. Now, obviously, I say that with the caveat that you need... Somebody who wants to resolve the issue on the other side to work with you who's obviously actively proactively trying to sell that property, but somebody who's put that property in auction generally that is the case, so you know you can you can resolve things and you can do you know what i mean a, a lot of us here are not just owner occupiers but are also investors so if we 're buying a property for view to make money sometimes we 've just got a cost in you know a cost whether that 's an indemnity policy whether that's some sort of appeasement you have to make to the other side but you can mm. get the deal across the line i'm just going to do a little reset just to just for everyone to explain what we're here for today so sure. my name's is kaz or kazzy from property by Kazi. this is our sunday at 6 p.m session the catch up called us ask, ask someone else um today we have the property lawyer guy you know he's on sharing some knowledge of us he's not charging us his normal 500 pounds an hour <laughs> and he's, he's, here, he's here for free today so make sure you guys enjoy um if you are enjoying and give us both a follow if you're not already and get those questions across of anything you know property related within you know legal questions yeah um so i'm just thinking I, it was one thing as well that you mentioned obviously that and i think not to cover everything but you know what you mentioned obviously that you charge 750 for a leasehold and 500 for a freehold um, we've spoken about a few of the issues that can come off with of things that you like to look for when um, doing a pre-auction pack what are the kind of the go-to things because there are the, the honest thing is there is quite a lot of rubbish in auction sometimes there's some great deals but there's a lot of stuff that people are struggling to sell have issues for whatever reason that they think well i, I can't you know no one's buying it on the open market let me fling it in auction what as sort of laymen um should we be looking out for when looking at auction packs particularly for leasehold properties
1: um, so, I think the key things when looking for an auction pack is you want to see the contract to see what additional fees may you apply mm-hmm. uh, in addition to the bid you're putting in. So, for example, you may be putting your bid in, but you might have to pay a certain percentage on top uh, to cover the seller's mm-hmm. legal
0: fees. It's almost so become standard now, hasn't it? The it has, percent. yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you may have to pay the seller's agency fees, for example, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and as well as like disbursements and, and, and other costs that are associated with the sale of the property, which ultimately what you're doing is you're paying for the seller to not have to incur any costs mm. with regards to the uh, auction sale at all. Um, the other things you want to look at really is to see whether or not the seller has the right to sell the property. And what mm. you will normally be given is a title register, uh, also called an official copy of register from the land registry. Now, um, if I just take a step back and explain what the land registry is, when you buy a property, um, 99% of the properties are always registered at this government database uh, registrar called the land registry. And so every every property, whether it's a leaseholder or a, a freehold property, usually has a, uh, a, a a title number, which is only used for that specific property and um it allows you the, to have the knowledge that that's the proof of who owns the property uh at the time of when you want to purchase now you may find that the seller is not the person named on the title register um and uh, there could be a reason for that which is pretty simple it could be for example a power of attorney uh, selling mm-hmm. the property it could be um a probate sale where you're you've got a probate uh, Grants to a third party to sell the property on their behalf. It could even be a bank or building society who's repossessed the property who's trying to sell the property as well. And so, the last thing you want to do is agree an a, 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 agree a auction purchase where the seller doesn't have the legal right to sell the property. And ninety nine percent of the time, uh the auctioneers would have done their due diligence already to make sure that. I, the, I would say uh,
0: that percentage is lower. You know, do you think because so? Because I've had in recent because I think. A lot of people, maybe not historically, but recently, a lot of people are doing what I think is classed as like creative purchase solutions and creative (laughs) options where they haven't actually, they've maybe exchanged but not completed on the purchase. And I've seen quite a few of these come up in auctions. Some of my last, no, year before last deals, that this was an issue that we realized actually they didn't have the legal right to sell the property. And ah. be- because it had been misrepresented by both the auction house and obviously the seller, we actually managed to get a massive reduction in the per- purchase price. Yeah.
1: And it um, works depending on how you negotiate it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are sellers out there who will buy a property on a Monday and put it in, the, put it in an mm-hmm. auction on a Friday, even though the uh, land registry hasn't updated their records and sold. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, th- the key thing is checking if there is a legal Title by the seller to own the property uh, to to sell it to you, basically. Um, So, and then the other things to look into when it comes to an auction is, you know, especially with leasehold properties, you want to make sure the lease term is lengthy. Um, You know, you're you're not going to have any issues in trying to get funding in the future. Most of the time, lenders will lend on a property which is more than 80 years in terms of a lease term. Uh, You do get your specialist uh, lenders out there, your bridging finance companies and so on, who will lend you money based on a lower term of a lease plan Mm -hmm. but uh, your general high street banks won't lend you um, money until uh sorry provided that the sorry let me rephrase your most most banks will not lend you money if the lease term is less than 80 years because they want you to extend the lease and you've got to be careful because you don't have a legal right to extend your lease straight away Mm -hmm. um you have to normally own the property for at least two years before you can extend the lease uh, under what's called statutory uh, rights um, but that obviously doesn't apply if you're going to go to your landlord voluntarily to say can we get the lease extended and then they can charge you an arm and a leg for extending yeah. the lease in the future
0: and i think there's um there can be a provision uh, they can extend like so if you've already served the notice on the landlord you can or, or to be extend your lease you can sell the property with the benefit of that notice to the new buyer
1: yes but you have to make sure the right provisions are in place mm-hmm. within the uh within the agreements and the transfer deeds and so on so that if the seller serves what's called a section 42 notice to your landlord to extend the lease by an additional 90 years um that benefit of the extension uh notice will be passed on to the buyer but you have to make sure you've, you you comply with the relevant rules and regulations uh in doing so so you can't for example exchange on a monday serve the section 42 notice on the Monday as well and then buy the property on the Tuesday because there's not enough time for the notice to be accepted by the landlord. Oh. So whatever assignment benefits you have will be void, um, for example. So, I mean, it's, this is where it's quite important to have a solicitor involved or even a, a convincing solicitor who knows what they're doing. Um, and it, again, it pays to have a decent lawyer to look after mm-hmm. your interests whenever it comes to buying a property.
0: I mean, yeah, if somebody's re- representing you, and this we're talking about you know, in property, always considerable sums, um, you need to make sure that you have the right person to look over what you're doing. Which I think leads quite well onto a question from uh, Joanna. So Joanna was asked, um, would you recommend getting a loan agreement looked over by a solicitor when receiving funds from an investor? Um, and the second part of the question would, would this usually be included in the fee, or is in in the um, Conveyancing fee, or would this be an additional cost?
1: Hi Joanna. Um, usually, solicitors don't advise on lending conditions between you and your borrower. Uh, sorry, you, 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 and your lender. Um, it's a commercial yeah. aspect.
0: I think just sorry as a caveat. So, I think a lot of people. What you know, in, in in the property space now, people are potentially working with um, investors that are mm. providing the capital sum as a deposit potentially to you know that's going to be forwarded to the so i guess it's like a private agreement yeah to raise the funding away from maybe the the, the main lender
1: so most conveyancing solicitors who, who do conveyancing on a day-in-day-out job don't usually advise on the finance terms of your mm um of of your finances basically So if you're borrowing money from a third party which isn't your usual uh banks then or even a normal lender then um they they can advise you on the terms of the agreement if they've got the expertise to do so but they don't usually include those fees within the standard conveyancing fees Mm -hmm. it's normally additional fees uh Mm -hmm. because most solicitors charge by the hour on average but With conveyancing, nothing's ever charged by the hour. It's always charged on a fixed fee basis. So um, you may be given a quote for the actual conveyancing of a purchase, and then you may be given a separate quote for the uh,
0: advice of the legal agreement you want to enter into with your um, benefactor. And I would say definitely initially, if it's the first one you're doing, I'd make sure that you know any agreement you draw up, whether it's an agreement with, particularly when we're talking about significant sums of money, whether that's the agreement with your builder. Whether that's the agreement with somebody you're borrowing your money from, or if you're trying to do some sort of slightly more creative, whether it's an option agreement on a property, any any agreement that could have significant financial impact on you in the long term, I would definitely recommend getting a specialist to look over it. So it may not be your conveyancer; it may be somebody else in the space, but it would be somebody who deals with that type of commercial contract or, or financial agreement. And they would sort of probably quote you like you mentioned away from the main the main cost independently for that.
1: Yeah, and, and the word you use there is specialist. You know, if you've got a solicitor that specialises in that area of law, then they'll be able to advise you, or then 99 percent of the time they'll pass you on to another colleague of theirs who can advise you on those
0: circumstances. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely it. Um, so CJ Developments has asked, are there any uh, loopholes or I'm going to use the word provisions in regarding stamp duty um, for for second properties?
1: Um, The answer is generally no, there aren't any loopholes apart from if you're effectively buying the property under someone else's name Mm -hmm. um, where they don't have another property to own. Uh, You can do trustees, but generally speaking, it becomes a lot more expensive and it can be a bit more messy in terms of um, uh, in in terms of um, trying to make sure you don't pay the higher stamp duty yeah, um, yeah no. the rules of stamp duty at the moment is if you own a property which is less than forty thousand pounds in value then you don't have to pay the higher stamp duty so you could always uh, for example enter into a declaration of trust with your um, co-owner of a current property and you can basically say that they own the majority share of the property. So that like if you want to then buy a property in the future you can always um uh declare that you've only owned a 40 a percent sorry forty thousand pounds stake in another property which results in saving that stamp duty but there are other implications involved here with regards to uh, stamp duty that you've got to pay when it comes to transferring and that kind of stuff so it can be a bit of a mess uh in, in that sense so generally yeah, my, the answer is there's no, I'm afraid.
0: My, my, my only positive experience on the other side was just, I guess maybe this again is more of a developer answer and probably wouldn't help those owner occupiers. But there are some provisions at the moment um, to nullify stamp duty if you're buying a derelict property for less than half a million pounds, I think is the threshold at the moment.
1: But yeah, again, I think so.
0: with current stamp duty rates, depending on the price of the property, you also have to put together a report and a pack to explain that the property is derelict and why it's derelict and, and, and you know, represent that correctly to make sure you don't end up being, you know, not only paying your stamp duty, but also paying penalties that you have to work out what's going to cost you more. Is it the stamp duty itself or is it preparing that package? Um, but that would yeah. be my, my only sort of two pence on that one. <laughs>
1: I mean, my advice to that is your solicitor isn't usually a tax advisor, so you're better off getting specialist tax advice. And provided your tax advisor tells you uh, the position of the tax and provides it in writing, your solicitor shouldn't really have an issue. Because at the end of the day, we act on your uh, on, on your behalf when it comes to filing the stamp duty return. And if you've been given independent tax advice to say that uh, you don't have to pay the highest stamp duty uh, because of certain provisions... Um, then, of course, uh, your solicitor will 99% time, listen to that advice and go forward on that basis.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. I think we have a couple quite detailed questions. Again, if there's stuff that's in too much depth, ah, this one's big. I need to actually read it. So um, what provisions are there in terms of a transfer from one name to another? Um, the owner is abroad and they want to transfer the property into into their own name effectively like how i guess i think i know a little bit about this because this is a, is a friend of ours um how are you doing Harris? so you're good um so i guess their question is in regards they currently own a problem that well the property is owned by a family member overseas who has no intention to come back to the uk and wants to transfer it to family in the uk um it's unencumbered what sort of the process of of doing that
1: well If the family member owns the property as 100% fully ownership, as in not owned Mm. by anyone else, and you want that family member to transfer...
0: Oops. Have we lost Twitch? I can't actually... um... I'm not sure if it's just me that's frozen or if it's everybody. I can't see... Someone write in the comments if you can still hear me or we can still hear, um, still hear Dwidge. I don't know if it's just me. Am I here by myself? Anyone want to tell me? Yes, no, maybe. I think, I think we've lost him. I don't know, it might be, might be a battery issue. He's gone. Ah, it's me again. Well, you can't see either. Can you see me? Am I here? Can you hear me? Well, I'm here still anyway. Um, hopefully, he logs back in. Unfortunately, we're in a position where I cannot answer that question because this question here is for an expert. Um, okay, do it. You're there. Let me try and re invite you again. Bear with me a second. Give me a second. And I'm going to get him back on. Okay. I've uh, just sent you a request. Let's see if we can get you back in. In the meantime, just a little reset once again. So I am Kaz or Kazi from Property by Kazi. He's back. Uh, hello. Yeah. Hi. So I, I don't know exactly what happened. Sorry, here. ladies and gents. You. Yeah. Technical issues.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm in. I'm in uh, a little area called Red Hill in South London, which uh, doesn't have the best reception. So I apologise a no choice. has
0: uh, been Yeah. Thus far. So I don't know where, so if you just start from the beginning of the question, so just to refresh, it was somebody wanted, they have sole ownership of a property. They want to transfer it to a family member in the UK as they've left the UK permanently, have no intention to come back and they have no outstanding finance. Um, what, What would be the process for that? So, um, Party
1: A, who is abroad Mm -hmm. uh, in this situation, wants to pass the the property to Party B, Mm -hmm. who is in the UK. In the terms of uh, HMRC, that is still treated as a sale and purchase. Even though there's no money being transferred over between uh, A and B, ultimately, um, you're still effectively selling the property from A to B. Mm -hmm. And therefore, B would still be liable for stamp duty Uh, for for the transfer and a could still be potentially liable for capital gains tax um, Mm -hmm. for, for disposing the capital. Yeah. If, if there's a gain made on that, on that property. Mm -hmm. Now there is an argument to say that if there's no money transferring hands, then there's no stamp duty payable. However, most of the time HMRC will want to have proof as to why the transfer is taking place. So you are opening yourself up there to a can of worms when it comes to um, uh, tr- transferring our property in that way, the best thing to do there um, is to speak to a tax advisor and a actual solicitor who can advise you uh, on a personal level on the transaction as a whole.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that's good. So obviously, Iris, uh, so I think that's, that's your answer. You have to speak to a solicitor, also a tax advisor, get that dream team on, There's Got a couple of people we can go through the last Sundays, and I'm sure you can pick up some great experts in different areas to help you with your question um let's have a look let's have a look at this one from leanne Dooley. that was great pronunciation for <coughs> myself if i do say so myself um <laughs> if a bank is listed on the charges register of a property being sold at auction does that mean there's an outstanding mortgage um on the property so, uh, yeah. the answer
1: there uh, leanne is yes. Uh, However, what you want to look at in the auction pack is a document called replies to requisitions on title. And within that replies, there will be a section to say that the seller is undertaking to clear that mortgage on completion. Now, most solicitors usually provide this before completion rather than before exchange of contracts. So even if you do buy the property, check the terms of the agreement to make sure that the sale isn't subject to that charge because the last thing you want to do is take over someone else's
0: mortgage mm-hmm. exactly that so i think yeah that's just again where having a good solicitor on board that um can yeah can obviously make sure they do all their due diligence to make sure you're not left financially exposed at all and goes back to the point of why have a good solicitor on board and who to use Indeed. Um, let me go through um, let's have a look so that's not really probably your area of expertise um, this was from Jermaine Ajayko good friend good friend of the show Always oh, way to say that um, where did you work before <laughs> furlough
1: um, so I can't really tell you where I work purely because that's of fine. insurance purposes and so on but I used to work as a partner um, in a multi uh, multi branch-based law firm Mm. uh, in South London. So Mm. uh, I started there as a paralegal, worked my way up as a qualified solicitor, even became partner at the law firm. Um, And then uh, during COVID, that law firm got taken over by another law firm. And um, yeah, I, I don't know what's happened to that law firm at the moment, but I am currently a consultant. Uh, again i can't tell you where exactly i work for but i'm sure if uh, you follow the channel um there'll be times when you can come um, find me or even ask kaz and i'm sure you can uh, yeah no definitely to-
0: i mean for everyone obviously sharing a lot of really good information today so do make sure you head over to the instagram give him a follow and obviously if you do need that legal advice you can reach out to him directly um and then obviously as a client it's a lot different you know we can, we can speak a lot more frankly but jermaine thank you for coming love to see you in the building as always. Um, i think i have a couple of questions for you just based off my my personal experiences um and one of them is is sort of linked to you know partly linked to the pandemic but a lot of people at the moment are trying to beat stamp duty and not just because of that but how long i know how long would you expect a normal the converting process to take for freehold slash leasehold properties and how long is it taken in the current circumstances? Uh, very good question
1: actually so the national average for a freehold property is 8 to 12 weeks Mm -hmm. and the national average for a leasehold property is 12 to 16 weeks to try and get an exchange of contracts done from the day you put your offer in Mm -hmm. Um, this does vary depending on certain situations for example you may be buying in a chain and someone in the chain may still need to look for a property to buy for example um you might be getting searches uh, as part of the conveyancing process and different local authorities work on different timescales. I generally say that a freehold property shouldn't take any more than four to six weeks to exchange contracts. And a leasehold property shouldn't take any more than six to eight weeks to exchange contracts. Uh, And that's using a decent solicitor there. Um, You know, I've had leasehold properties that I've exchanged within the space of three working days of having the offer accepted because there were cash buyers and cause everything just aligned up quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had leasehold properties that have taken more than a year to exchange because there's been issues down the line or we've had to get a deed of variation and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, so there isn't really a fixed time period when it comes to each transaction. However, as a general guidance, uh, six to eight weeks for leasehold is always a good way to go. Um, it's always important when instructing solicitors to see what their capacity is like at the moment. So, if you came to me, Kaz, and said, Dwitch, I've been your long-term client for God knows how many years now. I need to buy a property which needs to complete by June," most solicitors, including myself, would say to you, "I'm really sorry, Kaz. It's unlikely we can get it done by June, but we will try our best." Um, and however, also, you're however,
0: because it's me. You're however,
1: do it, right? <laughs> as it's you, Kaz. We will always try our best, but there's no guarantees. Don't come and sue me if I don't get it done. <laughs> Basically, is the key. <laughs> no
0: problem. No
1: um, there problem. are many factors that cause a delay in the transaction. Uh, these can be relating to mortgage valuations being booked in. It could become searches for the local authority. It could be the sellers who are taking the time because they're nervous or they don't quite know what they're doing or they're trying to buy a property to buy and so on. Um, and, and all of these factors do come into play when it comes to looking at timescales. So it's always important not to stick at exchange deadlines uh you know it's very easy when you when you put an offer to say right i'm going to exchange in 28 days but it's very hard to stick to those timescales when you've got so many outside factors which can delay such an issue there um yeah. obviously not much of an issue issue if you're a, if you're a cash buyer and you're willing to take a view on a 100 things uh yeah. you know kind of thing
0: obviously if you gotta tick all the boxes so I think, yeah. before before i let you go and head off and enjoy the rest of the rest of your Sunday. One final question. I think you know it's not necessarily that relevant, but I think it comes up so much. Japanese knotweed, massive issue oh, or not a big deal? Where one of going? my
1: favourite things in the world. Um, Japanese knotweed is not a big issue to me, provided there is a treatment plan in place. And the key thing is that you have to make sure you're buying the property for the right price. If it is suffering from Japanese knotweed. Um, A Japanese knotweed is effectively an ornamental plant from the Victorian times, which came into the country. And uh, you'll see a lot of it um, in the the country. And it's one of those plants which is invasive. And what that basically means is it can actually go through the concrete foundations of the building, which is quite dangerous. And so it can drop your value of your property substantially uh, when it comes to... uh, uh buying a property or even selling a property but if it is being treated and it is being monitored most lenders won't have an issue with it provided they are aware of it from the beginning um so the answer to your question kaz is not the big deal but make sure you're not overpaying what the actual true value of the property is okay fair,
0: fair, fair, fair which i'm sure advice. i've told you in
1: the past as well from yeah January.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I tell you I'm buying it anyway most of the time because <laughs> I've always negotiated a great press and it's just built into the it's just built in I found it most frustrating is when the neighbor has it and you can't deal with the stuff in the neighbor's garden because it's not yours. But that's yeah. a conversation for another day.
1: <laughs> I mean the key thing is when it comes to uh solicitors, what you've got to bear in mind is our job as you're conveying some solicitor is to make sure you can enjoy living in the property from a from a legal perspective. And you won't have any issues when it comes to selling the property in the future. The condition of the property uh, isn't our job to advise you on. That's what your surveyor does. And your surveyor will then go to the property itself and tell you what the issues are. It's for you to then raise the issues with your surveyor uh, ultimately when it comes to the actual conveyancing process.
0: That's good. So finally, plug yourself. Where can they find you if people want to reach out to you? If they want to instruct you, how how can they get in touch? I know um, you've got the Instagram, and the Instagram is what again? It's...
1: So the Instagram is The Prop Lawyer, mm-hmm. um, and I have a YouTube channel called The Property Lawyer. Not very active, to be fair, but that's because I've been very busy due to the stamp duty holiday at the moment. But I am planning to put out some more videos. I, I tried to do a professional video uh, on-, on certain categories, but at the moment there's only a couple of videos on the uh, on the YouTube channel um ultimately drop me a message send me a dm through the instagram page because i have set that up now there's no post on the dm because i don't have time to actually put posts up but i will do one day i've got this big vision Talk after looking you. at property by Cassie and thinking <laughs> i could do what he does but um you so, know right, but
0: the, the main thing is that it's there because in reality do you want your solicitor to be posted on instagram or do you want your solicitor to be dealing with your inquiries and making it, sure they get exactly your, pro- your auction purchase yeah. completed within those 28 days Uh, Much appreciated for coming on and taking time out of your Sunday. You're very Um, welcome. Again, this is Property by Kazi. Ask someone else. Opportunity to ask an industry expert. So thank you, Dwidge, for being that expert today. Next week, we have Karina Lepore, the winner of The Apprentice 2020, I believe. So last last year's Apprentice. Yeah, so she she smashed it out. Um, Did amazing. I think she was... Had the most wins on any series of the apprentice we're just going to be talking a lot about her journey in business also touching on the property space but i think it is very important to understand that you know there are a lot of steps before investing in property and a lot of times those are building your brand or building your own personal you know portfolio within whatever it is that you're doing and building an area of expertise to allow you to have disposable income to invest um that will be the final episode of season one of ask someone else so that'll be 12 episodes we've wrapped up i do want to say in the comment section or just you know below when i post this to our instagram or youtube let me know what you think should we go for a full-blown podcast do you like the interactiveness of the q a what your preference is just yeah let me know but i appreciate you guys for being here that's me i'm out it's property by kazi enjoy the rest of your weekend which thank you very much thank you everyone take care See